Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So we're in a series called Follow the Roar, and uh, we've been talking about lions. And I read that a lion's hunting strategy is very calculated and unique. And it has to be because for a lion, a lion mostly hunts prey that is much faster, much larger than it is. Prey like buffaloes and zebras and giraffes. And I just thought giraffes was weird. Am I the only one? Because last week we talked about being fast and that we said that a lion can run like 50 miles an hour in short spurts. I don't know what that means. I don't know if a short spurt for a lion is a mile. I I don't know what that means. But they can run like 50 miles an hour. And I thought a giraffe, no way a giraffe can run any 50 miles an hour. Am I the only one? I guess I am. Well, just so you know, we Googled it between services. They can only run 37 miles an hour. So this little internet stuff is all wrong. They don't have to be intimidated by a giraffe, I don't guess. Anyway, it didn't have anything to do with anything. I was just glad to tell you that we found out something between services. <laughs> there you go. So a line, uh, for a lion, it has to be very patient. It has to be very calculated when hunting. And so they may stay hidden in the grass for what may be sometimes hours just waiting for that prey to get closer. So they're actually kind of sneaky. They're calculated. They're patient. And why would they go to all that trouble? Because they're hungry. See, you people must be all the skinny people. Fat people knew exactly what I was talking about, right? All the skinny people said, I don't know. The fat people said they're hungry. That's why they go through all of that trouble. The people that Jesus addressed, Jesus, you got to understand, Jesus was a master teacher. He was a master teacher, and part of the genius of Jesus was he knew the people that he was talking to. So when Jesus addressed people, he understood, they understood what it meant to be hungry. In that region, few were prosperous, and more than likely those listeners, most of those listeners, many of those listeners had experienced that very kind of hunger. They lived in poverty. They lived in poverty. They were poor. They they lived in poverty without grocery stores or refrigerators or running water. They may have very very well, many of them, if not most of them, had gone for days at times without food. So Jesus speaks to these people in terms that they would understand, and he says this in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are the poor. Now, maybe they didn't get the poor in spirit part. That would have been a little bit of a stretch for them. But as soon as Jesus spoke in that that word poor, they leaned in. They thought, that's us. We're certainly poor. And then he said, blessed are those, those that mourn, for they will be comforted. And the mortality rate was extremely high back in the day. So again, his listeners, he had them on the edge of their seats. They were taking in everything that he said. And then he said, blessed are the meek. And as soon as he said, blessed are the meek, they went, man, that's us. And he didn't just say, 
I'm, I'm addressing the meek, but blessed are the meek. And maybe, maybe for some of these people that were poor, that maybe hadn't eaten in days, that maybe hadn't had anything to drink in days, they leaned in and they thought, this message is for somebody like me. And then he said this. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And these people would have certainly thought, oh yeah, we definitely know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. The thing is, I'm not so sure that we, at least for the most part, understand what Jesus is saying. To us, hunger means waiting in the line at the restaurant a lot longer than we want to, right? Am I the only one, like I, I go, if the place looks crowded, if there's a line, then I'll make sure I want to go to the, to the hostess and I want to say, how long is the wait? And if she says, it's going to be 45 minutes to an hour, I say, I'm out. I mean, I'll die right here in the line. I'm starving to death. I haven't had anything since breakfast. It's been a couple of hours. I could die right here. And so we, we think about another restaurant. Maybe that the food is not going to be as good. It's not our favorite restaurant, but we're willing to go because after all, we're, we're hungry. Hunger for the most of us is that sensation that you feel in the pit of your gut that makes you stop at the QT for junk food because you're starving to death. And just so you know, I, I'm pretty sure uh, a payday I consider a protein bar. Mark, can I have an amen? A little Debbie? That's sustenance for a dying soul right there, isn't it? We are the best fed people on the planet. Our problem isn't finding food to eat. Our problem is losing the fat from eating too much. That's our problem. So honestly, I think it's going to be difficult, and, and I have a task this morning to try to bring us to a point to understand the words of Jesus. So I did a little research, and I read on the Internet that hunger is the distress. I thought, what? Distress. Distress. Associated with the lack of food. I didn't think that really did it, so I did some more research. I went to another website that said, for millions of people worldwide, the definition of hunger is a persistent state of physical and psychological harm caused by a lack of nutritional economic resources. Now that's a little bit different than I'm starving to death because I missed breakfast. That's a little bit different than I'm starving to death because it's 2 o'clock and I haven't had lunch yet. It's a little bit different. So Jesus speaks in terms that these people totally understand, but he puts a twist on it. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that would have, that would have been a curveball. They would have thought, hmm, righteousness. So what is righteousness? We're in church. You're, this is the high 11 o'clock hour. Most of us pretty much don't understand righteousness, right? It's, it's an attribute of God. Righteousness is being all right. So God is all right. The Doobie Brothers had it right. Jesus is just all right. The, we don't do lighters anymore. We do cell phones, right? That's Okay, different, right? He is all right. God is without sin. God is perfect. 
He is all right. But that's the problem. Because the problem, according to Romans 3.10, is there is no one righteous, not even one. So we can't get the very thing that we're supposed to be hungry and thirsty for, right? But the good news, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, is that on the cross, Jesus took all of our sins. He took all of our unrighteousness. And watch this. He gave us His righteousness. I got one amen, a couple of old me's. It's where we struggle, isn't it? To really understand the depth of that verse. Really to, to exactly what it means. How many of you as followers of Jesus have struggled with your own sin from time to time? How many of you would say, you know what, I struggle with the same old sin. I'm not even creative with my sin. I feel like there's been times when God looked at me and said, really? Can't you be a little more creative? Like, can't you come up with some new sin stuff? Like you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so when Satan wants to mess with me, he's always quick to point out that sin. So to understand this principle, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my gosh! That God took my unrighteousness, He took my sin away from me, and He gave me His rightness, His righteousness. Y'all with me? Are you? I have positional righteousness because I'm a follower of Jesus. Positional righteousness. Because I am a follower of Jesus. I am in Him and He is in me. My name is written in heaven. And beside my name is a big old red stamp paid in full. The price has been paid. I have positional righteousness. Not my righteousness. His righteousness. My righteousness is positional based on my relationship with Jesus. And now I'm supposed to be hungry and thirsty for that relationship. But here's the thing. No one can force you to eat. Well, when's the last time anybody had to force me to eat? I mean, let's just be honest. That's not the deal, really, is it? The old saying, I think, though, is true, that you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. What you need to know about these words here for hunger and thirst, they actually mean this. It means an intense desire. I got this right out of the commentary. An ardent craving. An all-consuming pursuit. That's where we struggle. So this thirst and this hunger that we're supposed to have for our relationship with Jesus. It's like being in the middle of the desert and haven't had anything to drink maybe for a couple of days and you are on the verge of dying and you spot a well of water and you know that nothing will stop you from getting to that well of water. In fact, you know that life is in that water. You'll do whatever it takes. 
It's a desperate kind of thirst. It's a desperate kind of hunger. Again, I think we struggle. King David said it this way. He said, as a deer pants for water. I got to be honest. I don't know that I've ever seen a deer pant for water. But I do have a dog. And 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 Maggie, I've seen Maggie pant. Uh, we, we have a, a little stand-up board. Okay, it's a big stand-up board. It's 14 feet, and, and so it's big enough for, for me and Karen and Maggie to get on it. And we get out there in the hot sun in the middle of the lake, and, and we take water for her because at some point, Maggie's going to get hot. And when she gets really, really hot, she's going to get really, really thirsty. And so she'll begin to pant. How do we know she's thirsty? Because she pants. And so we'll take out that little, that little bowl that we bring, and we'll take out some water and put it in there, and she just laps that water up. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I love this next question. I love it. I think it's awesome. Where can I go? Where can I go to meet with God? In other words, I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty that wherever he is is where I want to be. And, and, and I long for, I have such a thirst that whatever I have to do to be there is the very thing that I'll do. And so if you're like new to Springwell and maybe you've been around for the last few weeks and if you know that there are times when we're in the middle of a worship set and, and Jonathan or, or I or one of us, or sometimes David, will get up here and we feel like that it's just necessary that we just extend worship. You, you want to know why? It's because we actually sense the presence of God. He's with us. We're, we're with Him and we know that it's the only thing that matters. That's why you come, isn't it? You don't come to hear a talking head on a Sunday morning. You come because you want to experience Jesus. You want to be close to Him. I I used to say, I just want to be so close to Him. I want Him to, I want to crawl up in His lap and I want to be so close that I feel His breath in my face. Psalm 63, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Hunger and thirst are intense desires. And that is the same intensity that we're supposed to have. I'm struggling, can you tell? Because I don't want to come across as though you have to it's a want to. See, the thing is that appetites aren't filled until you do something about it. See, it's one thing to intellectually say that I'm hungry. It's quite another to take the steps to satisfy your hunger and to quench your thirst. In fact, you don't even think through it as being a process, do you? It is that intense desire that that forces you, pushes you to do whatever you have to do. By the way, I I read that a loss of appetite is actually a sign of illness. Physically, we know that something's wrong when we have no desire to eat. We know that we've already pushed it too far. The same thing is true 
spiritually. When we no longer hunger or thirst for time alone with God, or we fail to get alarmed over our sinful condition. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When suddenly your sin just doesn't have the same effect on you that it once did. That there was a time when you you were sensitive to sin. There, there, there was a time when you were overwhelmed with your sin. There, there was a time when you had a repentant heart. And then what about the condition of our world? Now, we're quick to criticize. We're, we're good at complaining and, critis- and criticizing. We're, we're quick to criticize and complain about the government, right? I mean, we're, we all know that we're smarter than they are. Hello? Y'all the smart crowd. Now, the 9 o'clock crowd, they were a little off, but I mean, I can tell. You guys are going, yeah, absolutely. But when was the last time that we looked at the condition of our world and our hearts were broke? Not with a critical spirit. But with a heart that says, you can have more. and a thirst and a hunger to be able to share what you believe to be the answer. So the action that we need to take is to go to the source, which is the bread of life. I thought that was so awesome. The bread of life. We're hungry. In the bre- Y'all didn't do anything. John 6, verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never Go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Augustine was right when he said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. One of the many things that I've learned over the years, over the last couple of years, on my food plan is that uh, if I cheat, if I cheat, if I eat if I eat junk food, what I've learned is that while it tastes good, and it does taste good, don't let me fool you. It's awesome. <laughs> but I've learned that it actually doesn't satisfy my body. So last year, I know some of you uh, were quick to, to bring it up. Over the holidays, I gained a couple pounds. Ha, 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 ha. I'm a big man. I can, I can admit it. I can confess. Okay, I gained seven pounds. It was more than a couple pounds, but it was only seven pounds, and you don't understand. That's nothing for me. I can gain 10 pounds in a week and not even breathe hard. Are you, are, you, are you with me? Come on. Any fat people in the room can say, I'm right there, brother. I'm with you. So I thought seven pounds was nothing. I wasn't really concerned, and I had a little bit too much sugar. And by that, I mean... I had Johanna parents' cookies. That's what I mean. Oh, if you've not had one, it's like crack cocaine. Don't do it. We'll have to get you in immediately. You'll have to get in a 12-step program. I'm just telling them. Like, I started with one, and I thought, man, that one is awesome. If one is this good, six has got to be better. Man, I didn't, know, I didn't know where to stop. I mean, I really, I'm not kidding you. I didn't know where to stop. And so, at one point, this is the truth, I had one in my hand. And I was looking at the plate of how many were left, and I was looking around to see if anybody was watching. That's when you know you got a problem. You know what I'm talking about? That's when you know you might be an addict. 
And then I went to Costco one day, and I noticed at Costco that Costco, they had these, these, these pecans. They are pecans. They're not pecans. They're pecans, and they're praline. Have y'all seen them? Have y'all heard about them? Woo, Jesus, I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit made them. I'm, I'm satisfied. And so it was during the holidays, and I thought, yeah, I might better get them because they're probably only going to be probably seasonal at Costco. They won't last forever. So I bought some. And between that and those cookies, I'm just telling you, I'd been set free. And I watched the scales, and I thought, seven pounds? Nothing. <laughs> you know, brilliant. And so then I went the next week, and I got some, I got some more uh, praline. Okay, I got two. Just in case they were out the next week. Because I think like that. Here's what happened, though. After a period of time, I noticed that my knees were hurting. Really, like back here. And so I thought, stinking treadmill, something wrong with that treadmill. And, and, and then, you know, so I thought, well, then I, could, I need to go back to the elliptical. And I got on the elliptical, and I thought, well, you know what? Some, the elliptical machine's broke, too. And I noticed that, I, I mean, I, my back started to hurt. And I thought, well, it's the incline. It's the incline that I've been doing on the treadmill because I thought I could maybe outrun, out-cardio my calorie, my caloric intake. Y'all with me? Anybody else out there try to do that? I'd have had to run 30 miles a day. I mean, what I was eating, you know. What I learned was although it tasted good, it really was hurting my body. See, the problem with many of us is that we're doing the same thing spiritually. We're going to the wrong places to find nourishment. It's easy. I wrote this one, pleasure, like we go to pleasure. I mean, how much really is drawn? Are we, are we drawn to things because of pleasure? I mean, I, those cookies, I'm telling you what, it's good. They're awesome. That was pleasure. Y'all with me? We could talk about all kinds of things, and the reason that we go to that thing is, is all due to pleasure. I wrote this. This was my next word, performance. Performance. And honestly, I was primarily thinking about religious people, religious people who have in their mind the way that I earn my relationship with God is the way I please God is through performance. And so it's how often maybe I go to church. And, and maybe I don't go every week, but I go every now and again. And then when I go, you know, maybe I throw a little something in the plate. And, and that's kind of pleasing to God, you know. And then, then I don't just go and I don't just give occasionally. But just maybe, maybe I'll serve. And then I'll really, I'll go way out. I'll, I'll like volunteer in the nursery. And I'm going to take care of pooping, crying babies. And we know there's a special place in heaven for those people. We just know that, right? But here's the thing. What we miss is that that's not what God's after. I find myself over the last few years asking people this a lot. What do you think God needs from you? And I've had some pretty smart pastors with degrees to give me their call to ministry. God needs me to get out and reach the unchurched. He needs me. I said, no, 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 no. What do you believe about God? What do you mean what I believe about God? Do you believe he's all-powerful? Yeah. Do you believe he's all-knowing? Yeah, yeah. I said, let's do all the omnis and throw them all in there. So, so if all of that is true, what could God possibly need from you? What could, what could you do for God that God can't do for himself and do it better? Are you going to impress him with your righteousness? Remember, he's all right. How are you going to impress him? 
And you know what you'll find? Those of you that maybe struggle with the religious aspect, is all of that serving, all of that doing still leaves you achy. What God wants is you. He just wants you just to be with Him, just to hang out with Him, just to worship all by yourself. You don't need a crowd of people or a band. Just you and Him. I put possessions. Some of us are just trying to buy things to fulfill an emptiness. Living on the junk food of another job, another marriage, drugs, alcohol. So we just keep nibbling on things that don't satisfy the hunger that's deep down inside. The only thing that will actually nourish our souls. Isaiah 55, it's a beautiful verse. Verse 2, it says this, Why spend money on what, on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Greer translation of that is, Why do you waste your money on junk food? So I read that, uh, that a lion is actually fully capable of hunting down and killing and eating a field mouse. That takes some skill. Got to be fast. You got to be quick. But it turns out that the energy required to do so would exceed the caloric content of the mouse itself. So, for a lion that literally would hunt down, chase a mouse... If he did it every single day, he would slowly starve to death because it's not enough. A lion needs antelope. Antelope are, are big animals. They take more speed and they take more strength to capture and kill. But once, once you've made that kill, then they provide a feast for the lion and for the pride. It's not just what he can feed himself. It's what he can feed those that are around him. So I guess you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, did I spend today chasing mice or hunting antelope? I thought I'd get a little technical because I know some of you like that kind of thing. So grammatically, Jesus expressed these two Greek verbs, hunger and thirst, as present participles. That's the original Greek language. Okay, what does that mean? It means continuous action. That's what it means. So in other words, and here's what you have to understand. Those who are filled are not those who have their hunger and thirst met, but those who are continually hungering and thirsting for their relationship with Jesus. It's a constant pursuit to live a life of righteousness, to, to yearn to be more like Him. You want to be with him. I didn't have this in my notes, but it's the only way I really know how to describe it because I've tried, but I still don't know because I don't know that we understand hunger and thirst. What I do know is when we first started Springwell Church, it was crazy. It was crazy. We were working seven days a week. We were working 15, 16, 17, 18-hour days. It was crazy. We were blessed. We were growing. So we met in the house the first week. We grew out of that. We had to meet somewhere else. I had to find somewhere else to meet. And then we, 
grew out of that place within a couple of weeks, and I had to find another place to meet. And so every day, I'm, I'm trying literally to just to figure out how to start church. There weren't any books written back in the day. You have to understand, there weren't any church growth books. There weren't any church growth experts out there. This was a brand new thing. So we were doing the best that we could. I remember going to some kind of conference. I don't even remember what the conference was, but I remember going to a conference. And I, I remember that I was, I was away from Karen for about three days, and y'all know I'm crazy about her. And she's beautiful, and I talk about her looks all the time, but it's so far more than just her looks. Looks fade. They have it with her. And I actually do think that. I still see her today, and I think she's as beautiful today as she was the day I married her, and I can't figure out how she does it. But I remember when I was away from her, I remember this thing in the pit of my gut. I just wanted to get home. I just, I was tired. I was wore out. I had been working so hard, and I thought, I just want to, I just want to be back home, and I want to be back with her. So I come home, and the next few days were incredibly busy. It's like I hit the ground running, and there was more to do than there had been. I didn't know how there could be more. And I remember that it had been a few days since I had really had a quiet time. It had been a few days since I had started my day just hanging out with Jesus. I don't know of a better way to put it. That's just hanging out with Jesus. That's not checking a box to say I read five verses today. That's not saying, oop, I checked the box, I prayed for 15 minutes. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I just missed him. So that morning, I remember thinking, you know what, I don't care what comes. I'm, I'm clearing my calendar for this morning. And I remember Karen and the girls, we were getting them ready for school. And I remember just thinking to myself, as much as I missed her a few days ago, I just want to get them out the door. You know, baby, just go. Just go. In the name of Jesus, go. Take those two little youngins with you. I don't even care where y'all go. Just go. And it occurred to me, that's the same feeling that I had just a few days ago for her. And I just remember in that time with the Lord that morning, I thought, that's what he's been trying to teach me all these years. Then what he wants from me. Is it great to serve God? Absolutely. Should we serve God? Absolutely. Should we serve each other? Yes. But not doing it to win brownie points with him. And that will never replace being with him. Are you with me? Hungry and thirsty. Followers of Jesus don't just want bits and pieces of righteousness. They seek all the righteousness of Jesus and their desire to be like Him. Just to be with Him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. Are you chasing mice or antelope? Are you feeding on junk food? Or are you hanging out with Jesus 
those sweet times just to be in his presence. It's the only thing that matters. That's why we get caught up in worship here. I think every time I think, wow, we reach so many unchurched people, I go, wow, I wonder if they just think we're weird. And I think, well, they probably do. I mean, we are weird. But I hope that what you see in us is something that's real and genuine. That we just want to be with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd ask you the very same question. And you know what? Just to be quite honest, I think you get it better sometimes than we do. Are you chasing mice? Or are you chasing antelope? And maybe this morning you're not a follower of Jesus, but you completely understand what it's like to feed on all of these different things. Pleasure, performance, possessions, whatever word you want to use. And what you know is the reason that you're here this morning is because those things have not satisfied. Your soul, like my knees, ache. You're missing something. What I can promise you is this, is that God is a relational God. What He wants with you is a relationship. You're not going to impress Him. The God that created the heavens and the earth, what are you going to do for Him that He can't do for Himself and do it better? What are you going to give Him that He doesn't already have and have more of it? He's not demanding something from you. He just wants you. So much so that the problem that you feel, that thing that separates you from God, that sinful nature, You've tried to be better and do better, but you just never can be good enough, right? And you know that, and you're full aware of that. And you know, there's a thing that stands between me and God. And God said, you know what, there, there is. But I want a relationship with you so much that I'm willing to do my part to make that relationship right. So God sent His Son. He didn't just send one of the angels of heaven. He sent Himself. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth with one purpose. And that was to pay the penalty for all of our unrighteousness. Our sin. So when Jesus went to the cross, listen, watch this, He took all of our junk on Him. And He said, I'm paying the price, the ultimate price. Three days later, He was raised from the dead. He's alive. And He said, I've paid the price for your sin, for your unrighteousness. And what I want to do is I want to give you my righteousness. I want you to put on my robe. I want to make the relationship right. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, and I cannot imagine why in the world you wouldn't want a relationship with God. It's awesome. And to know that what He wants is you, just you. To be with you in a relationship that will feed your soul. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be. Then maybe you would pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just say, God, I have been so hungry and so thirsty for so long. And nothing that I have feasted on 
hadn't lasted, hasn't nourished my soul. And I've come to the realization this morning that what I need is you. So Jesus, I'm telling you that I believe in you and and I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful that you would be willing to go to the cross and on the cross pay the penalty for my sin. Just so you could make things right so that we could be in a relationship and I accept that and I believe you're alive. You're not dead, you're alive and I'm asking you to step into my life. I surrender my life to you to the best of my ability. Thank you for your love. Lord Jesus, all I know to do is to say how incredibly grateful and thankful I am for my relationship with you. And I can enjoy that relationship not because I'm good, but because you're good. My position in you. Lord, i got to be honest. Sometimes I still spend my days chasing mice. Some days, Lord, I get so caught up with the things that taste good. And I forget what really nourishes my soul. I'm so grateful and so thankful that you're so patient with me. And Lord, I can tell you as honestly as I know how before these people this morning is there is nothing sweeter than being with you. Just being with you. And it's awesome when we're here together on a Sunday morning and we're worshiping together. But Lord, honestly, it's just as sweet for me early in the morning when it's just me and you. Thank you for the relationship. It's in your sweet name that we pray.